following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We are in this series at the moment in the book of James, and we started this series last week. So if you weren't here last week, it'd be good to get a copy of that message, which you can get on the app. It's so, it's so easy now. Just grab that message and have a listen or have a watch of it sometime during the week, uh, because that will give you an orientation to this book of the Bible that we're diving into. We did a little introduction last week on the book of James itself, and a little introduction to the person of James, who James was, because uh, it's helpful to remember when we come to this letter that it was written by a real person. It's not just this abstract document, but there's a real person, James, who wrote this letter to encourage these Christians. And James was the brother of Jesus. Remember this? He was the brother of Jesus, grew up in the same family as Jesus, so he had Jesus as his older brother. And James, as far as we know, was not a believer, didn't put his faith in Jesus before the resurrection, but after the resurrection of Jesus, he placed his faith in his, in his brother in Jesus, became a follower of Jesus, and then became one of the leaders, a significant leader in the early church, in the Jerusalem church. He became the leader of the Jerusalem church. And he's writing this letter to primarily to Jewish Christians, Messianic Jews, all over the Roman Empire, all living in all sorts of places throughout the Mediterranean world of the day. And he's writing to encourage them, and he's writing to equip them, and he's writing to help them grow deeper in their faith and grow towards Jesus. So that is a, a nutshell summary of what last week was all about, but have a listen to the message. And we just covered the one verse last week, James 1.1. So we are going to take on a little bit more of this book this uh, week. We're not just going to do one verse, we're going to do about ten uh, but we're still in chapter 1. So James chapter 1, if you've got the Bible, uh, open it up there. By the way, there's Bibles down the back. I don't mention that enough, but there's Bibles on that table down the back. And if you ever want a hard copy Bible and you forgot to bring yours, they're down there. You can pop out and, and grab one any week. But get the Bible open and let's read. We'll read from verse 2 of James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, I want to ask you a question as we start out today. I want you just to think about this question. Don't answer it out loud. And it's primarily a question for those of you that are Christians. So if you're not a Christian, um, you can listen in on this, but it's primarily a question for, for Christians. I want you to think about what, is the, what has been the key ingredient in your spiritual growth. So what has been the, the most important thing for you in helping you grow as a Christian? 
if you can see any growth in your life? What, what, what has been that key driver? Maybe many things. Can you isolate the most important thing? Is it a person? Is it a particular practice? Is there, is there, is there a truth that you've latched onto? What is the thing that has really helped you to grow the most? Um, our staff team brainstormed this question several years ago. We were sitting around, we had this whiteboard session, and we put up on the whiteboard all of the, all of the things just going around the room that we felt had personally helped us the most in growing as a Christian, personal growth, spiritual growth. We just, we just named them and listed them out. And there was one thing that someone put up on the whiteboard, which was a bit of a surprise, a bit unexpected. And someone went and put up one word, suffering. And we kind of looked at that, and it took us back a little bit because it's not—it's not really what you expect. You know, you sort of you expect to see things like Bible study. You know, we're going to grow because we study the Bible, or prayer. You know, we pray. That's how we grow as Christians, uh, or going to church. All of these things, and I think those things were all represented up there. But then this person felt that the times that they had grown the most as a Christian were times of hardship, times of struggle, times of suffering. And so they wanted that represented up there. And I think as we, as we looked at that whiteboard and we thought about it and reflected on that, there was the sense of resonance there, the sense of, yeah, that's, that's really true. We wouldn't have necessarily thought of it. We wouldn't, it kind of don't, you don't click to it, but that's really true. There, there's a kind of growth in our lives. There's a kind of spiritual growth that only happens through the hard times. That only comes about, it won't come about any other way. There's a, there's a certain kind of personal growth that only comes about through suffering. And that is what James is putting his finger on in this passage. I mean, he's writing this letter to encourage Christians to grow. He wants these Christians to grow. He wants to see them mature. He wants to see them move towards Jesus. And so the first topic, he doesn't muck around. He doesn't give you a long greeting. He doesn't give you a lengthy Thanksgiving section. He just dives straight in. And the first topic that he hits is trials. Let's talk about trials. You know, he doesn't start with, here's how to study the Bible. He doesn't start with, here's how you pray. He's going to get to all that. He's going to talk about prayer. But he doesn't start with church attendance. That's all important stuff. But James says, if you want, you want to grow as a Christian, you want to talk about spiritual growth, let's talk about the hard times. Let's talk about trials. Let's talk about how you move through trials in your life. Because if we let them, trials, difficulties, hardships can become one of the most important sources of our spiritual growth. So that's where James starts. Maybe not the most uplifting subject in the world, but that's where James starts. So that's where we're going to start. And James, in verse 2, when he talks about trials, he describes them as trials of many kinds, trials of various kinds. So he's casting a wide net here over all these different kinds of situations. A trial is just any situation in your life that causes struggle, any hardship, any adversity, any affliction, any pain, any grief, any loss, any difficulty at all of any kind, that's a trial. And these, these, these trials, they can range along a continuum uh, and encompass so many different things from really, really huge things, massively intense suffering that people can go through, losing a child, losing a spouse, being the victim of abuse, Severe mental illness. I mean, these are some of the most severe trials that a human being could be subject to. And that's all included in what James is talking about. But he's not just talking about those things. He's also talking about all of the little things that just afflict our lives and hassle us and cause problems and frustrations and exhaustion 
and loneliness on a daily basis. They may not be in this big major category. You don't feel like it's that bad. But James says it's trials of many different kinds, including the small stuff, including the little stuff. We had a run of these things recently. We were on holiday in Coromandel, and uh, we had two weeks down there. First week was great, sunshine. We had wonderful family time. And then the second week, the wheels just completely came off the holiday. Uh, It started with Lawson swallowing a coin, which in itself is not that major. It's not a big problem, except that it wasn't coming out. And, uh, you know, as a parent, you want to know that it's come out, which means that you've got to do certain things to make sure you know when the coins come out. So I won't connect the dots for you, but let's just say there was a daily routine then that was established, which didn't make for the most pleasant holiday. Uh, so we had all that going on, and then Anna got horribly, hor- awful food poisoning, and she was completely bedridden for three days, and then it took her another week to get her energy back after that. And then we had car problems, car broke down, we had to get it towed because there wasn't a mechanic where we were, we had to get it towed 20 minutes to a mechanic. And then the weather completely fell apart, And so there was all of these things, and there was a few days there where it was like raining, Anna was in bed sick, Uh, Lawson had a coin in his body somewhere, we had no car, we're sitting inside playing some board games just thinking, what has happened to this holiday? Um, Now, I'm not for a minute comparing that to really major serious stuff that people have going on in life, I know. But I tell you this, I think when James talks about trials, I actually think it's really important that we include all of these other little hassles in life in the frame of what we're talking about. Otherwise, we miss the opportunity to grow through them. If we only think he's talking about the really big stuff, and therefore this only applies to people going through really horrendous stuff, we'll miss the opportunity to grow through some of the more minor stuff. And truth be told, it's often the more minor stuff that is the daily headache. So we've got to cast a wide net. Trials come in all shapes and sizes. They can be very short-term. They can be very long-term. They can be trials that go on for a lifetime. They can be externally related to our circumstances. They can be internal. They could be depression, anxiety, negative self-esteem, OCD, suicidal thoughts, all of these things. They may be related to external circumstances, but these are struggles we carry on the inside. So all sorts of things, and I would say, I mean, you look around the room, group of people this size, I would say it's a fair bit. Every single one of us is going through some kind of trial right now. Some of you are carrying huge burdens right now. You really are just just carrying seriously weighty stuff. Others of you, it's just a little annoyance. It's a hassle. It's a niggle. It's a bit of a struggle. It's nothing major. But I think at any given time, every one of us have got some kind of trial, if not two or three or four or more, going on in our life of some kind. And therefore, what James is saying is universally applicable to all of us at any given time, right? So here's what he says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That is just about enough to make you want to close the Bible right there. Consider it pure joy. I mean, it's just such a jarring statement, isn't it, to read this? I mean, it's like, what? You're not going to go up to someone who's really struggling and say, why don't you just consider it joy, brother? Consider it pure joy, sister. You're going to get a punch in the nose if you do that. This is What is James talking about? You know, we don't feel joy when we go through difficulties. When I had my back injury last year, I didn't feel joy. I felt pain. I was sore. I was exhausted. I didn't want to put on Farrell Williams and walk around singing the happy song. I wanted to curl up in a corner and feel sorry for myself. I was sore. I was in pain. You know, what's, the, what's this considerate, pure joy that James is talking about? Well, I think in that verse, you look in verse 2, I think the most important word in that verse is actually not joy, but 
consider. That, that word actually sets up everything James is going to say, consider. And it literally means to decide or to lead, to decide. Here's what James is saying. When trials come along, difficult times and struggles come along in our lives, we can decide to respond in a certain way. We can decide how we respond. There is the situation, there is the trial, and then there is your response to the trial. And those are two different things. Sometimes we don't think they are, but those are two different things. We can choose how we respond. And we can either just let ourselves be carried along by the situation and be governed by the situation and be controlled by the circumstances that you're in, and then we just default to whatever natural responses we have, our natural reactions, our natural responses, our natural impulses, our natural instincts, and we can just let all that happen. Or, James says, you can decide. You can decide to respond differently. And if we decide, if we consider how we're going to respond to our trials. James says it is possible, maybe, maybe not common, but it is possible to experience joy even in the midst of difficult situations. And that doesn't mean there's no room for sorrow. James is not saying there's no room for pain or to, to feel sadness or loneliness or anguish or grief or whatever it is. We're going to feel those negative emotions. That's part and parcel of these situations we go through. But James is saying it is possible, while all those emotions are swirling around, it is still possible to experience a deep joy in our soul, a deeper level in our emotion, a deep joy in our soul. But we've got to decide We've got to decide to respond. We've got to consider how we respond to these trials. And here's what James wants us to decide. And this is what he's going to unpack in the next few verses. I want to just summarize it in one sentence here. I'm going to give you the big idea up front this morning, and then we'll unpack it, okay? Here's what James wants us to decide. When we, when we go through these situations, difficult times, hard times, struggles and pain, we need to learn to look through our trials, not just at our trials. Okay, so we need to learn to look through these situations, not just at these situations. In other words, we don't just look at the thing that's in front of us. Of course, we see what's going on. We don't ignore it. We don't deny the facts on the ground. But James is saying you need to learn to take a three-dimensional view of your struggles and look through these situations at what God is doing and how God is working and how God might be shaping you and forming you and molding you through these trials. We've got to look through the situation, not just at the situation. Okay, let's unpack that along the lines of how James describes it here. He says in verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So James is kind of explaining this like a pathway. There's one thing, leads to another thing, leads to another thing. So first he says, the testing of your faith, these trials that we go through, they can lead to perseverance. They can produce the fruit of perseverance in our lives if we, if we allow them to, if we allow God to produce that in us. Now, the word perseverance is the Greek word hupomone, and it literally means to stand up under, to stand up under the weight of something. All right. Now, a helpful illustration to picture this, hupomone, I want you to picture Ruth Turnbull weightlifting. Okay, Ruth Turnbull's our resident weightlifting champion at Shaw. She won gold at the Masters last year, broke records for her class with the weight with the lifts that she did. Then she won three more golds on the Gold Coast recently. She's a legend in our own community. And we've got a picture here. Here's Ruth. So Ruth is standing up under the weight of 
How many kgs, Ruth? 46 kgs bearing down on her. And Ruth is hupomone. She's standing up under the weight. All right, that's a picture of perseverance. That's, that's what that word means. That's the word picture. To stand, to bear the weight and to carry it well, to carry it correctly. Right? It's, it's, it's to bear. So when trials come along in our lives, it's like this weight comes upon us. I mean, some of you are feeling this literally this morning. You feel like there's this weight that bears down on us when we, when we go through difficult times. And what God wants us to learn to do and what he will strengthen us to do if we allow it is to learn to carry the weight correctly. To learn to bear that weight without buckling under it, without it completely knocking us off our perch, without it crushing us and destroying us, without it totally devastating us in our lives, that we would remain standing under the weight of what's going on in our lives, to remain anchored, to remain centered, to remain grounded, to remain stable, to remain hopeful, to remain faithful, to have endurance, perseverance, spiritual resilience. That's hupomone. That's remaining under. That's carrying the weight. And the only way, the only possible way that God can produce this fruit, this quality, and it's such a precious quality, but the only way God can produce it in your life is by allowing you to go through trials, right? I mean, an Olympic weightlifter cannot train by lifting air. You can't train by lifting broomsticks. The only way you're going to develop the spiritual muscle to lift record-breaking weights is by lifting serious weights, is by carrying weight. The only way that God is going to build this quality into your life is by allowing you to have seasons, sometimes long seasons in your life, where you are carrying weight, where you're carrying, where there, there is a burden that is bearing down on you. There's a difficulty. There's a struggle there. Now, it's not that God causes that to happen. It's not that God's punishing you. It's not that he's beating you up. It's not that he's afflicting you. Don't feel that. The Bible says God never willingly brings affliction on anybody. That's Lamentations 3. God will not do that. But he will allow you. He will allow you to go through seasons in your life where there's a weight that comes upon you in order to grow this precious quality in your life of hupomone, endurance, so that you can stand up under the weight by his strength and his grace, and you can carry that weight. And it strengthens you to carry the next weight that's going to come down the track without being crushed by it, but that we could stand up under. This is what God is wanting to do. This is some of the work God's wanting to do in our life, and it only comes about when he takes us through the fire. It only comes about when we go through the furnace. There's a kind of spiritual growth that's not going to happen any other way. So trials can produce perseverance in our life, and then James takes us to the next step. Perseverance, this is verse 4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That word mature is the word teleos, the Greek word teleos, and it means to bring something all the way through to its intended goal, bring something through to its intended end. So a helpful illustration for this is maybe think of a fruit tree. We've got a lemon tree at our place, and look outside the dining window, and you see this tree going through the phases of fruit bearing, and it starts with these little red balls that appear on the tree, these tiny little hard red, uh, sorry, green balls, green, what am I talking red, it's Christmas, green, little tiny green, they don't look like lemons at all, but they're these little green things, and then gradually over time, what happens? They ripen, they soften, they grow, they become yellow, they get big and yellow and juicy, and then, you know, lemons, when they're right ready to be picked, you, you grab that lemon and it just about comes away in your hand when it's right there, and that is teleos. 
that's fruit that has come all the way through the process of maturity, and it's right ready to be picked and eaten. And this is God's goal for our life. This is God's goal for the Christian life, to bring us through this process of maturity. Not to, he will meet you wherever you are, but his goal is always to bring you through to maturity. Because we start off like these little fruit trees, baby little fruit trees, with shallow roots and no fruit at all. And over time, what God wants to do in your life is push those roots down deeper and deeper and deeper into the soil of his grace, into the soil of his love, so that when we start growing and we bear branches and then leaves and then fruit, we become fruitful and we develop in our life the character of Christ. We become more and more like Jesus. Now, we never get to that destination in this life, do we? We never finally get there. Never finally. In fact, you talk to people who you think, are the most mature Christians that you know. And it's amazing how they seem to be the ones with the most sense of how far they've got to go. It's interesting, isn't it? They've sort of got that sense of their own brokenness a lot of the time, and they realize how far they are from maturity. The closer we get, the more we realize we've got a long way to go. But in, in this life, that's always the process. God's always moving us on, wanting to move us on towards maturity, to greater faithfulness, greater fruitfulness. And that's going to take perseverance. That's going to take learning to stand up under whatever life brings us. And that, in turn, is going to mean we go through situations of difficulty, hardship, and trials. So you see this pathway that James is laying out from trials through to perseverance and eventually through to maturity. And this is what it means to look not just at the trial. not just at the, if, all, if all we look at is the trial, then we're just seeing the situation here. But James says, no, no, don't just look at that, but look through it. Look through the trial to how God may be wanting to develop hupomone, to enabling you to stand up under the weight. And then look all the way through to maturity of the process God's looking at building into your life, helping you to become a, a, a ripe fruit tree, fruitful Christian, bearing fruit for him and for his kingdom. We've got to learn to look all the way through these trials to see what God is doing in our lives. And that only happens if we decide to respond the way God wants us to. It's not a natural progression. I mean, you and I know there's been plenty. You can think of people who that process has not worked. And people that have hit trials in their lives, and they may have been Christians, and something's come along, and they've, they've not responded this way. It hasn't developed perseverance. It hasn't developed maturity in their life. They've gotten mad at God. They've gotten mad at other people. They've walked away from their faith. They've walked away from their church. The whole thing's taken them backwards. So it's not that trials inevitably produce perseverance and perseverance maturity. But if we decide, if we decide to lean into what God is doing and become aware of how he's working, then this process can occur. This process of maturity can occur in our lives. But James says, if that's going to happen, there's two other ingredients that we need. There's two other things that we need. And he mentions them here in verses uh, 5 down to 8. He says, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to, him, to you. So James is saying, if we're going to respond rightly, if we're going to learn to look through these trials, not just at these trials. We're going to need wisdom. We need wisdom. It's such an important topic in James, the topic of wisdom. He's going to come back to this, circle back to wisdom numerous times. But he says, if we're going to respond rightly and actually experience growth through these trials, then we need to ask God for wisdom. And wisdom in this context really just means seeing the situation rightly. Seeing the situation correctly. And that's half the battle, I think when we hit tough times, 
is just having the right perspective on our struggles. Because our perspective determines our response. Our perspective on a situation conditions how then we're going to respond to that situation. If we see things the way God sees them, we're much more likely to participate with him in what he's doing in the middle of that situation. Let me read you what one writer says about this, David Brooks. He says, The person with good character has taught herself, or been taught by those around her, to see situations in the right way. When she sees something in the right way, she's rigged the game. She's triggered a whole network of unconscious judgments and responses in her mind, biasing her to act in a certain manner. You see, the way that we see our situations determines the way we respond. If you see this situation through a certain paradigm, you become aware of what God might be doing, how he might be working, how he might be shaping you, what he's teaching you about himself, what he's teaching you about yourself. Then that conditions our response. Suddenly we see the situation in a certain way. We start making judgments about the situation in a certain way. We start acting in the situation in line with what God is doing, not just in line with the way we might be feeling or thinking or our default natural responses. I'll give you an example of this. A lot of Christians, I think, when they go through hard times and they struggle and we feel pain in our lives, the the first question that a lot of Christians tend to ask is, why? Why is this happening to me? Why is God doing this to me? Why is God causing this or allowing this? Why, why, why? And I have conversations with with people about this from time to time, and and they're, they're pouring out their heart about their struggle and what's going on in their life. And often, sometime in the conversation somewhere, there comes this little line where they say something like, I know there must be a reason. I know there must be a reason for this. Just got to find out what it is. I know God's got a reason. I know there must be a reason. And in my less pastoral moments, I've wanted to say, maybe not. Maybe there's not a reason. I don't know. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But if you don't know what the reason is, chances are you're not going to know the reason until you get to heaven anyway. So you're going to spend so much time just running around chasing your tail trying to find a reason for why this has happened. And it's such a distraction. Because then you, you kind of end up seeing your situation like a puzzle that's got to be put together. And I've got to, I've got to somehow find the reason. And when I find the reason, then I'll unlock this mystery and I'll see things rightly. But that's, that's a distraction. That just leads to us chasing our tail. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is asking a different question. Rather than asking why, wisdom means asking what. What is God doing? What is God doing? How is God working? What's God up to in this situation? He didn't necessarily cause it. He hasn't brought this along, but he will use it. He will work in this situation. So what is he doing? What's he teaching me? What's he showing me? How's he leading me? Where is he at work? What is God doing? That's going to open you up to some new possibilities and some new ways of thinking and then enable you to respond along the lines of how God might be calling you to respond in the midst of that trial. And the great promise of this verse is that if we lack wisdom, James says, what? Ask. Ask. I mean, it's a promise right there. I think that this is a promise of Scripture that we can stand upon if we lack wisdom. Wisdom, if, we, if we're struggling, if you're struggling to see your situation clearly, if you're struggling to see it rightly, James says, ask God and he will give wisdom to you generously. Doesn't mean he's going to fix the situation necessarily. Doesn't mean he's going to lift, lift the burden, but he will give you the wisdom that you need to see the situation from his perspective and he will give that to you generously without finding fault, James says, literally ungrudgingly. He's not reluctant He's not going to do this grudgingly. He will pour out the wisdom. He'll give you the wisdom that you need. He's not going to fix all your problems straight away, but he'll give you the wisdom that you need to see your situation rightly. 
and act well in that situation. He'll give you the wisdom that you need. And then there's one final thing James says that we've got to have if we are going to respond rightly in the midst of these trials, if we're going to grow through trials. He says, but when you ask for wisdom, you must believe and not doubt. And to believe, that's the word for faith. And at its heart, it just means to trust, to trust. It's a very simple thing. But I think underneath all of this, this is probably the most fundamental part. Underneath all of this, when we experience difficulties in life, there's a question that God comes to us and asks. It's a very simple question. It's not an easy question, though. And it's the question, do you trust me? Do you trust me? I feel like God has brought me back to that question time and time and time again, especially over the last year or two, when I've been banging my head against the wall, when I've been just trying to think my own way out of my problems, when I've just been times of real frustration or despair or whatever it is, God has just brought me back to this question. Do you trust me? Do you fundamentally trust that I'm good? Do you trust that I love you? Do you trust that I'm in control? So it's easy to answer all that, yes, 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 when we're in the good times. You know, when the finances are healthy and the body is healthy and the relationships are healthy. Oh, yes, God, I trust you. We sing the songs, hallelujah, trust the Lord. And then those things get taken away. The finances break down, the body breaks down, the relationships break down, and then God comes back to us and says, now do you trust me? And you start to see what kind of faith you've really got. So what the Bible says, the first thing that happens in trials is we discover the kind of faith we really have, and we go from there. God takes us from there. But what we often discover is, and honestly, this is what I've been confronted with. Sometimes God will ask me that question, and I find the answer is no. God, I really haven't been trusting you. I've been letting this situation completely shake me to my core. I've been getting overwhelmed by it. I've been trying to do everything else. I've gone everywhere else but come to you in this situation and talk to you about this situation. I've just tried to fix it, solve it, figure it out, slog it out by myself, guts it out. And not once have I come and actually laid this situation down before you and talked to you about it. And God, really what that reveals is, no, I don't trust you. And that's a painful thing to realize. But this is how then God says, okay, so let's move forward now. I want you to trust me. Even if we have to say, in spite of my feelings, I trust you. In spite of what I can see, the situation doesn't make any sense to me. I can't understand it, but still, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you in this. Because the opposite of trust, James says, is doubt. James says he must believe and not doubt. And to doubt, literally that word doubt, it means to be divided within ourselves, to be divided. It's like a fracture, like a fault line running down our lives because on the one hand, we have a faith in Jesus or at least we claim to have a faith in Jesus. On the other hand, when the heat gets turned up in our lives, we get to a point we really don't trust him at all. I'm going to solve my own problems. I'm going to slog it out on my own. I'm going to turn to everyone except God. And James says, man, if you're like that, you're like a wave of the sea, blown around, tossed around by the winds because you're at the mercy of the storm. Then you don't have that fixed anchor point of being able to say, I trust fundamentally. I'm anchored to God and his goodness and his love. You lose that anchor point. You're just blowing around by the winds of circumstance, blowing around, buffeted around. You're at the mercy of the storm. Only when we can come back and say, I trust I trust in the Lord beyond what I can see, beyond what I can understand. doesn't mean you won't have questions. doesn't mean you won't have all sorts of uncertainties. doesn't mean you won't have all sorts of negative emotions at times. But it means beneath all of that, 
being able to say and sometimes just say with clenched teeth, but to say, I trust. I trust that, God, you are for me in this and not against me. That, God, you are with me and you are fighting my battles on my behalf. That, God, you are in this, even though I can't sense your presence at all. And, God, I know that in the end, it's going to be okay. You're going to carry me through. You're going to carry me home. That's trust, isn't it? Because one day he will. One day, finally, we're going to see God face to face. And then our faith will turn to sight. In one sense, we won't need faith anymore because we will see God face to face. You'll have all your answers then. You'll have the why. If you want the reason, if there is a reason, I don't know. But if there is a reason, you'll, you'll know it on that day. But not, not now, probably. But one day we'll see God. One day all the trials in this life will be over. All that weight that we carry through our life, that, that crippling weight, and we struggle and we stumble and we bear this weight. James says in verse 12, one day we're going to get to heaven and God's going to lift that weight from our shoulders and he's going to replace it with a crown. What an amazing day that'll be. What's that hymn, The Old Rugged Cross? He'll exchange it one day for a crown crown of life it's not the crown of good deeds by the way it's not the crown of being a good moral christian it's the crown of life it belongs to everybody who loves jesus but for those who have struggled their way through this life for the battlers and the strugglers and the ones that are only just hanging on by a thread that crown is going to be so precious it's going to be all the more glorious and it's an anchor for our soul pulling us through in the present and helping us to persevere, the crown of life. A few years ago, I went to Israel, and while I was over there, I had coffee one afternoon in the lobby of the hotel across the road from where we were staying. It's a place called the American Colony Hotel. As we were having coffee there, one of the guys with us was our tour guide, and he started talking about the building. It was started by this American, the American Colony was started by a guy called Horatio Spafford, an American, lived in Chicago, and he'd come over to Israel in the uh, late 19th century to start a whole lot of community work in Israel, in Jerusalem, ministering among the poorest in East Jerusalem, started orphanages and shelters for the marginalized, for the poor. And he'd done this because 10 years prior, he'd gone through this awful tragedy in his own life where he'd planned this family vacation for him and his wife and their four children. Uh, they lived in Chicago and they planned a vacation in London. He sent his wife and their four kids off ahead of them um, by sea. And on the voyage, their vessel that his wife and children were in got hit by another vessel and sank. Some people were rescued. All four of his children died. His wife was the only member of his family that survived. She telegrammed him after that. And the telegram began with the words, saved alone. And Horatio Spafford immediately bought a ticket, got on another ship and set sail for London to be with his wife. And as his ship passed the area of the Atlantic where his children had died, the captain came and got him and said, this is the, just so you know, this is the area where that vessel sank. And Horatio Spafford sat down in that place, on that boat at that moment, and wrote a song, a hymn, that's become one of the most well-loved, well-known Christian hymns, It Is Well With My Soul. And the original words for that song were stuck there on the door of the American Colony Hotel. It's a testament to this man who had a life of suffering, but who grew through that pain to maturity. Let me read you just a couple of verses of that song as we finish. 
When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. May you, through whatever burdens you're carrying this morning, whatever trials are afflicting you, may you be able to say those words, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Father, I'm so mindful of the the burdens that people in this very room now are carrying in their lives. Lord, you see every heart here in this room open wide before you this morning. And we, we see so little of it, but God, every heart, every life is just open to you and laid bare. You see every trial. Lord, you know in every seat there's something. There's burdens, there's trials, there's struggles going on. And Father, I want to pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would pour out your grace upon every person here this morning who is struggling, battling in some way. That God, you would meet them right where you are by your grace and you'd just lift their spirits this morning. That you would be the lifter of their head. Lift their eyes to see you, God. Those who are just sunk so deep down in loss and pain and struggle. Father, would you lift up their eyes this morning to see you afresh, to see you in all of your love and your kindness and your compassion. Would you fill up their soul? Lord, would they be able to walk out of here this morning with a little more hope, a little more life, and that ability to say, I trust you. God, for the ones this morning that just can't even say that, don't even know where to start, Father, would you, would you just meet them where they're at. Lord, you're so, you're so tender and kind. You just meet us exactly where we are. Would you just meet them, Lord, the battling ones, the struggling ones, the hurting ones this morning. Lord, meet them where they're at and breathe your life, breathe your love afresh into their soul. Father, help us not just to look at these things that cause us pain, but to look through them at the work that you are doing in our lives. Make us more aware of how you're working, how you're growing us, how you're strengthening us. Lord, it's not comfortable. It's not pleasant at all. It's really painful. But Lord, we know this is part of how we grow. And so we want to surrender up whatever trials we're going through this morning to you, asking that you would come and shape us and mold us and remind us that you are so trustworthy. We thank you, Jesus, that you're good, even when we can't understand what's going on. We pray these things in your name. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.